part of my sermon, but um, I think I would be remiss if I didn't thank you all for having me. It's been an amazing six months, and I've been here for six months, and uh, so just having me here and being a part of this community has been very special uh, to both me and Amani and my wife. Um, in her absence, uh, I would be also remiss if I didn't say something about her. Um, so yeah, just thank you. Um, thank you for having me these six months and thank you for having me uh, and allowing me to stand in the gap for just this moment uh, and share. So funnily enough, uh, it's been about two years since the last time I preached. Almost exactly two years, actually. <laughs> uh, and the last time, it was uh, the Wednesday before the third Sunday in Easter. Uh, and I preached from the same chapter in the book of Luke uh, at a place not unlike St. Mike's. Uh, a place called the Absalom Jones Center in Atlanta. Uh, like St. Mike's, uh, the Absalom Jones Center is an Episcopal campus ministry. A ministry compelled by Jesus Christ's message to the poor and marginalized Still more like St. Mike's, Absalom's orientation towards justice often causes its narrow mission uh, to support the lives and spiritual needs of students to stretch infinitely. You might say that both St. Mike's and Absalom uh, have a very generous definition of student. For us, it seems that uh, we might extend our hand to anyone who's learning whether that education is coming by choice or by circumstance, in a classroom or in the world beyond. When taken to this great length, the student and student ministry can embrace an ever-expanding, changing, and learning community and creation. This is the beauty and challenge of student ministry. When the line between student and teacher, school and community, is blurred in the presence of God's glory and mystery, we must all learn together. And so, it is here we find ourselves with these two disciples on the Emmaus Road, trying to decipher the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, and yet Christ has also risen. For a few moments, uh, I would like to pose a simple question, which I believe lies at the heart of this impasse, this great mystery that we are called to explore. Can you read? <laughs> it is easy to think very simply about literacy. This question can refer to one's ability to decipher words on a page, make meaning of letters and sentences, in the introduction to Donaldo Macedo and Paulo Freire's book, Literacy, Reading the World and the World, the Word and the World, fellow educational theorist Henry Giroux notes that most often our conception of literacy in the U.S. is limited uh, to a functional perspective tied to narrowly conceived economic interests or to an ideology designed to initiate the poor the underprivileged, and minorities into the logic of a unitary 
dominant cultural tradition. In this shriveled view of literacy, it is the key to an American dream of middle-class comfort in which the poor have access to the same luxuries as the rich. Literacy and education, writ large, are the great equalizers. Here, literacy becomes a statistic pondered at nonprofit board meetings. It is the fixable, actionable problem we have uh, and that we love. Our eyes light up at the problem we can fix, just like the eyes of the two disciples as they reminisce about what should have been. Jesus was the king of the Jews, born to serve an eviction notice to the occupiers of Judea and restore the lands to the hands of the Israelites. Get rid of the Romans, and the rest of the problems would fix themselves. Like these disciples, when we read the word as just the word, we risk missing the presence of Christ among us. Comprehending the word means nothing if we are not transformed by it and if we are not empowered to transform the world through it. The prophet Jeremiah scolded the Israelites for their eyes which lacked vision. But there, but here, at least this once, Jesus proves to be a more patient teacher. He recounts the scriptures once again and walks through the fulfillment thereof. He reads to them and with them like a doting mother who hopes that with each story or flashcard, her child gets one step closer to understanding. Jesus reminds me of my own mother when I was much younger. She loves to tell the story of me failing the kindergarten reading test <laughs> and having to stand behind a two-way mirror in tears thinking that I would never be able to read. <laughs> when the curtain opened, it was a very dramatic moment. <laughs> uh, and, and, and when that curtain opened, uh, her tears of frustration and worry only intensified. As I sat with a sweet older lady named Miss Polly, uh, a name that my mother would never let me forget, she said she was my friend and asked if I would read to her a little while. Being the Southern gentleman I have always been since birth, of course I obliged. And to the surprise of my parents, and Miss Polly though, uh, she did not show it. I read book after book after book. While I did not know anyone was watching, I read perfectly fine for Miss Polly, my new friend. <laughs> I think that frustration that teachers and parents feel as they wait for it to click is probably familiar to all of us in some form, as is that anxiety that students feel as they are being put to the test. Many of us will be filling both sides of this equation very soon, if not already. Midterms and finals are upon us once more. I see on Facebook now. 
Uh, all my friends back at Morehouse are taking the finals and scared because this final test is going to determine whether they graduate or not. <laughs> so everybody's really stressed out. Everybody's calling everybody, um, soliciting prayers. <laughs> uh, and students uh, are cramming a half semester or quarters worth of readings into one night. And professors will be doing the stomach-turning work of reading the results of all that cramming. All this being said, I think it behooves us to remember the point of recognition for both me and the disciples. It was the point when it seemed we were furthest from the anxiety and pressure of learning. It was at the point when we no longer felt that we were being watched. It was at the point that our teachers were relieved of the anxieties and pressures of teaching. Indeed, it was at the point where the line between teacher and student was blurred. Though I did not break bread, I knew all those lessons that my mother shared with me. All that time she spent reading to me and with me came back when I sat down and chose my book and broke it open and shared it with my friend. And my mother was there, even when I could not see her. Her tears of panic and pain turned into tears of joy. She was there as I discovered my love of books through this sharing. As her lessons and time came to bear on my relationship to Miss Polly, through the words of my young mouth and the meditations of my young heart. One last story. Last summer, I volunteered at the Emmaus House Freedom School, a literacy program uh, for the children of the People's Town community in Southwest Atlanta. The little time I got to spend uh, with the program was so rich for me. And the most memorable and moving time of the day was Deer Time. Uh, Deer Time stands for drop everything and read. <laughs> uh, Deer Time came a little before lunch and recess each day. And the young scholars were allowed to choose their own books to read to themselves quietly. However, I found that as I sat on the floor with my own book trying to model good behavior. A little head would be nestled against my shoulder or find its way against my rib and start reading to me. I probably should have discouraged this, but I couldn't. I would take them in turn and they would share their selection with me. They each smiled at the completion of a new word or sentence or book, and they beamed with confidence as time went on. My young scholars knew a secret that they shared with me. Not explicitly, but as my heart burned and as they opened their little picture books to me, they were showing me the heart of God and helping me to remember that time all those years ago when I sat with my friend 
and I was transformed once more. And so it was that the disciples knew the Lord Jesus in the breaking of the bread. In the simplicity of a meal in which their rabbi, their teacher, their professor, and their savior sat with them as their friend. Their recognition constitutes a powerful moment of transformative critical literacy. They were at once able to identify their love for the scriptures. But more than that, they realized their love of God through Jesus Christ. The love that burned in their hearts even when they did not know it. And and they knew our Lord and were known by him through the love they shared one to another. The bread that was blessed and broken and passed between them. The disciples knew the Lord Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And I knew Jesus in the sharing of those little stories. And so, as we break bread together, and we share in this very special part of the Christian story, the Eucharist, let us find the peace of God in our Holy Communion and know our Savior in that peace, in our mission, in our Savior. Let us learn to read God's word and God's world. Amen. Amen. I think about moms in general, and as Mother's Day um, gets thrown into the jumble of, uh, of graduation time often, um, and, and gets lost in that, um, how important moms are, but how little we, uh, we actually uh, say good job, mom, um, until we're probably much older, <laughs> and, it, and it means something much different. Um, but yeah, yeah, so... Um, I'm going to send her the link for the podcast. And, and so when you hear this, Mom, you're a saint. Um, 